Give him a hand. Well, listen, really uh, great, exciting things happening. That Lynn Denton is no small issue, actually. Um, Lynn Denton is actually an internationally renowned speaker, um, part of the Hillsong Network, and uh, we're having her here in little old Mittagong. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, it's as a way of introducing and uh, helping us speak publicly about the issue of uh, sexual abuse. And we recognise that, um, uh, that there are many people in our society and our church who have suffered from that. And so it's a relevant thing to bring uh, the ministry um, of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who have suffered in that way. And so we're looking forward to that and just so grateful that uh, Fran has been active in hosting that and bringing that to us. And so thank you, Fran. That's wonderful. Uh, the Jurats have been to Hillsong, all pumped up. <laughs> Yay! Um, I was actually in touch with someone who was part of this church and I live in their house now. Um, they've moved up to Newcastle and about, oh gee, we, we've lived there seven years this year, so it'd have to be around 10 years ago. Uh, I was, it was 2009, I remember it, um, because I was uh, hearing Joseph Prince for the first time, and it was this radical message on grace. And uh, anyhow, um, I shared uh, some of those uh, things from the front, and also uh, this man who I live in his house, he got the Joseph Prince book, and he's reading it, and thinks, by the end of the first chapter, he had already thrown it across the room three times because he couldn't believe it was, you know, this is ridiculous, this is anti-law, this is not good at all. And uh, anyhow, I was speaking to him this week because I went to Newcastle for work and, uh, he's, and I rang him and he was at Hillsong. And I said, oh, how's it going there? And he says, it's wonderful. We've just heard today from Joseph Prince. I said, your old mate, Joseph Prince, Pastor Prince. And he says, oh, it was such a good thing. He says... You know, it's, uh, it's so funny. He said he still he confessed it. He loves the law of God. He loves the commandments. He's, uh, and he explained the message so well. And so Shep's buddies again with him, it uh, seems. A and I thought to myself, if he only knew what I was preaching about at the moment on the law of God. So funny how things move around a bit. Um, last weekend, I had the privilege of going down to Tasmania to visit John Hannaford, and as for those of you who know, um, uh, John has been an important part of my um, fathering and mentor for me uh, for the last six or seven years. And so um, John isn't traveling this year, and usually he would come to us a couple of times in the year, but he's uh, not, not up to traveling this year health-wise, and so I was able to visit him then and so he took me so he's actually not a BMI pastor he goes to a church which is a CRC church which is the same mob that Barry Chance part of so Barry Chance brother actually was instrumental in planting that church that John now goes to in Launceston and so um, anyhow uh, I was invited to speak there at the men's breakfast and I gave them what I had on law and uh, they loved it I got uh, I got a, a, um, a voice message from the resident theologian of that church saying, John, thank you so much for bringing that young man to us. Thank you so much for uh, his message. It was so good to hear something from the Old Testament, something from... The and ba basically, John's thinking, hang on a second, you know, what about all the stuff that I say? But, um, but uh, anyway, he, they were grateful for receiving what I had on Lord. Then I was able to... Um, uh, we, we spent time with their 
pastors that evening and then the following day in Tamar Valley Church, which is our sister BMI church in uh, Exeter in Tasmania, near Launceston. And so, uh, yeah, it's good to see um, what the Spirit is doing amongst the churches and to be able to be encouraged by that and to be able to, to bring an encouragement to them too. So really wonderful. Um, there was lots of announcements and I was just sort of thinking through some of the things we have on. We've got the indoor soccer next weekend and um, Josh Howlett's going to help us organise a team there. Now, there are probably five-a-side teams, I'd say, um, so we need five plus subs. I'm definitely going to need a fair few subs on my behalf because I'm not that fit. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, for those who are able to next Saturday. Now, I, next, uh, sorry, when you go downstairs after the service we're going to unveil the sound panel. The sound panel. Now, it's up there, but it's covered at the moment. Okay, and so we're going to unveil it. Now, Pete and I have worked on hard on that to build a prototype uh, so we know what's involved now. And um, we're going to need help to assemble the following nine panels that will be going to the roof. And so Paul's been good enough to um, build the frames for us. Uh, some of the frames needed a little bit of tweaking because Paul and his craftsmanship isn't up to spec. But I rang him yesterday. Well, actually, he rang me and, and, he, and I said, I must have heard your ears burning because that channel that I asked you to cut at 55 millimetres was about 48 millimetres and the light doesn't fit. And he says, oh, sorry about that. And um, so anyway, on Paul and Jane, they're having fun. They're at Uluru at the moment right now. So... Uh, they don't muck around. They move quick. They've been, um, I told you uh, Sunday a week, uh, two weeks ago, they, they were in Dubbo meeting and, um, uh, Andrew and um, his wife, uh, uh, what's it? Debbie, Andrew and Debbie, Peacock in Dubbo and had a couple of hours there to, and said that was wonderful. They've also moved on to Broken Hill, then down to Jamestown. In Jamestown, there's a BMI ministry there, just uh, quite a small um, setup there, Gloria and Barry Alcock. And so Paul spent some time with those guys and uh, been down to Port Augusta. They've been up to Cooper Pedy. He said we had a dust storm in Cooper Pedy. There's dust everywhere, dust in every... The orifice of your body almost, as well as the caravan, and, and uh, now they're at Uluru. So they managed to uh, get a spot right at the rock. So they're going well. So that's good. Excellent. Well, Luke said that we ought not be embarrassed about bringing people to church because, you know, uh, you never know what the preacher's going to preach either. And, and sometimes I think to myself, oh, gee, I hope, hope that, you're going to be okay with this because it's not the coolest topic I'm talking about. <laughs> it's not, you know, um, trendy to talk about God's law. But uh, it's been food for me, and I hope it is food for you too. Um, uh, let's, who was I talking to? I think it was, um, I think it was John. He, he was telling me that he spent um, quite a few years in church where the, the main message was how to... As Peter Frogley, I met Peter Frogley on Friday. He said, I spent years in a Baptist church where the message was how to get saved, how to get saved, how to get saved, how to get saved. And once we've got saved, then what? And so um, we've got to uh, continue to allow God to speak to us through his word, to feed our souls, to grow us up and to mature us. Amen. 
And so um, that's why we're where we are. Could I, could I have my PowerPoint ready, please? And I need a clicker too. So, Father, as we, um, as we open your word this morning, I thank you that your word, which is ancient, is relevant. I thank you, Lord, that it illustrates for us the way to a God-type life. It describes who you are, what you value, the things that, um, that constitute your being. And so this morning, Lord, as we open your word, we ask your spirit to be our teacher, that you teach us things which are relevant, that are food for our souls, that would stir our minds and cause us to walk uh, in maturity in our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're up to part six on God's law and morality. Um, I have summarized a few things now. I'm getting to the end of my bit on God's law, right? I'm going to move to morality this morning. So this is a, this is a big day. This is a big day. Um, <coughs> uh, so at, at, on our journey so far, on our journey so far, we have we have come to understand that the law is more than just. It's more than just the Ten Commandments. It's actually the stories of Israel's history. It's the commandments. And it's also, um, it's God's nature himself which is revealed. It's the law of God. It's the word of God. And, uh, and so I've, uh, this is my summary. This is where I'm up to. If you ask me today, what is God's law? This is what I would say. It's the wisdom. It's the instruction, it's values and teaching about life and the nature of God, which can be seen in the commandments and stories of the people of Israel. Okay, I've thought about that one a little bit, studied it for a little bit. That's what I've come up with. It's nobody else's words. But um, that helps me. That helps me. If you had rewind my life a couple of years, that would have helped me. Um, because I've come to understand God's law isn't just a bunch of commandments. It's the thing that sits above the commandments, that God's, the commandments actually put words around the, the higher ideal, which is the law of God. And so one of the ways that we tell um, truth is we tell stories which illustrate truth, and it illustrates foolishness, it illustrates wisdom, and God's law means instruction or teaching. So um, <clears throat> that's where I'm up to with what is God's law. It's wisdom, instruction, values, teaching about life and the nature of God, which can be seen in the commandments and the stories of the people of Israel. Okay, so the next point, what is the purpose of the law today? Now this is a big sticking point because if you're a Pentecostal and you've been, uh, you know, had a similar sort of experience to me, you would probably have heard this debate and you've probably even thought to yourself, what is the purpose of God's law? That's the old. We, we name our churches things like New Covenant Fellowship, you know, New Creation Fellowship and things like that. So what is the value of the law today, the purpose of it? This is what I would say. The purpose of the law is to understand what God himself is like, what he values, and how we can live wisely in relationship with God and others. It gives us foundations for morality, defining sin and righteousness. Its holy standards actually show us that we are in need of a saviour. 
To me, that's the purpose of God's law today. So uh, that's why we should know it. That's why I think we should talk about it. That's why we should value it. That's why we should treasure it like the psalmist says in 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. You know, uh, and so um, this, is the, this is the purpose of the law. To, uh, who, can I have a teenager tell me this word morality? What does morality mean, a teenager? What is morality? It's okay to get it wrong because I'm probably going to give you what I think anyway. Come <laughs> on, Joshy. Have you got anything? If you are moral... Oh, there's a hand up the back there, Zach. Yep. Excellent. That was pretty much what I was about to say. You took the words out of my mouth, Zachy. Well done. So morality is how we define good and evil, right and wrong. That's morality. So if you want to be a, a moral person, you will have to make moral decisions, which means discriminating, delineating between right and wrong. How do you do that? That's the question that our world wrestles with. How do you know what's right and what's wrong? Well, if you separate those decisions from God and his law, all you've got is kind of a gut feel, a, a, an emotion, a, a relative, like comparing situations. That's all you've got. And without God's law, we, have, we will in the long run move towards moral relativism relativism that's the danger isn't it steve it's it's uh, it's danger because it's a slippery slope and our wor world today is moving quickly in that direction okay so um, <clears throat> defining sin and righteousness it's holy standards that's the other purpose of the law is to show us that we're not all that we actually not as good as we think we are. <laughs> and we'd all like to think today that we're good moral people. But the Bible and the law of God illustrates to us through the stories of Israel. And when you read a story, you've got to read it not as like a spectator going, Oh, yeah, how dumb is Saul? You know, how dumb is he? He started off all right, but. How, st how silly he went. Or, or looking at um, uh, Adam and Eve and just thinking, how hard was it just to not eat the apple? Like, I mean, one thing, one tree and all those trees, that's all you had to do. Now, that's not how to read the law. The, the way to read the story is to put yourself in their f shoes and to read it your face with the decision every day too. You're faced with the opportunity to pursue what's right in your own eyes or to allow God to show you what's right. You're, you are Saul with your insecurities. I mean, how many times have I read the story of Saul and I'm thinking, oh man, there is Saul in me that God wants to put to death. There is a Saul in me. And it's insecure and it's, um, you know, wants to control things and those sorts of things. That the way we read stories, the way we need to read stories is we put ourselves as the... Uh, I heard someone recently talk about this, uh, reading the history of the 20th century 
and the things like Nazi Germany and of, um, of communist uh, Soviet Russia and of, of uh, things like um, Maoist China. And, you know, we might read the stories of people like um, uh, Corey Ten Boom or things like that. And we might think, yeah, if I was there, that's what I'd be like. <laughs> and Rose knows we're not like that. The chances of you being Corey Ten Boom are next to none. You are probably much more like the Nazi guy pushing the Jews into their showers. You're probably much more like those who dob out their Jewish neighbours hiding. You're probably much more like that because that's us. So it's scary when you read law. It's scary when you read history and you put yourself in their shoes going, oh my goodness, this is in me. This is in me. And so, um, <clears throat> that was a bit heavy. So that's the purpose of the law today, in my words. The next one, the third one, final one, is the law of God to be followed today? So Christians who follow Christ, are you under the law of God? Are you under the law of God? Well, the first thing I'd like to say about that is, Following the law isn't the goal of Christianity. That's not the goal. The goal of Christianity is to live in relationship with God. That's the goal. Okay, so if, uh, if you ask the question, are you under the law of God? You might say, well, yes, I am. But the goal isn't to be the most law-abiding. The goal isn't to be moralist in and of uh, that uh, as an end in itself the goal is to be in relationship to god and that's why we hear great pentecostal preachers saying things like it's not about rules it's about relationship it's not about religion it's about relationship and that's what we're on about here so it says the law of god cannot bring us into relationship with god no matter how good you are at keeping the law of god you can't, that will not gain you any good standing with God because you will fall short inevitably, which is our problem. Only Christ's work on the cross had the power to redeem people, of, people to God. Now the Spirit of God lives in believers and will lead them according to the law of God and empower them to live in it. Live it. So here we have... Um, uh, I suppose that the gospel, you know, our problem in short is that we all fall short of the glory of God. But Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us that we might be have our peace again with God. And now today, we aren't under the letter of the law. We are given the Spirit which, who will lead us in the ways of God. Could you turn with me to... Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, please. While you're turning there, do you remember a few weeks back um, we drew the parallels between the giving of the law at Sinai and the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost? Well, there's some wonderful parallels there. And the outcome of that is, is that the letter kills because 
under the under the giving of the law, you know, he exposed Israel's idolatry. Three thousand people lost their lives. But under grace, under the Spirit, when the Spirit was given, three thousand people got saved when they heard the gospel message that day. And so, two Corinthians three says, "The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life." Another wonderful picture, which I was reading about this week. In Exodus 19, it says this, right before the law was given, right before the Ten Commandments were given, it says this, The mountain where Moses was, was billowing with smoke because God came down in fire. He came down in fire. That's how they also followed God through the desert. He was a fire, a pillar of fire by night, which they could see and it gave them light. And it was a... Uh, it was a pillar of cloud by the day which shattered them. But when the fire moved, the camp had to move. When the cloud moved, the camp had to move. And so that was a form of God's guidance for his people. Now on the day of Pentecost, it says in Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. In other words, there was a partial coming. There was a awaiting perhaps for the fulfillment of Pentecost. And on that day... A fire came down and it divided into tongues. When they saw that fire, when we read about that fire, we are instantly hyperlinked, like double click on, and it will remind you of the giving of the law. And the fire came down. But this time, instead of moving on or, or uh, you know, staying out there, it divided and it sat on people's heads. It sat on people's heads. And that that fire which used to guide Israel now guides each individual. And so that is now your leading for this life. That is how you will know which way he's going to take you because the fire has come to you. And so believers, I've already described that if you want to, um, you know, <laughs> you can go to other churches to get different perspectives. But in this church, we ought to be fully fire-filled believers with the Spirit of God, saturated in Him and led by Him. The Bible says that those who are led by God are sons of God. And uh, there's a wonderful parallel here. And every time God talks about that, that law uh, or that covenant, He uses the language of relationship. And so uh, he says, you, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will give you a new heart. And it's that regenerated person, that new creation, is the only way we can love God's law to start with, let alone walk in it. He changes our desires to actually love the things that he loves. And so um, we ought to be... Spirit-filled believers in this church. We ought to lean into the baptism of the Spirit, like on the day of Pentecost. It's a, such a big deal. It's that big that it was as big as the giving of the law in the Old Covenant. That was a big deal. Moses was radiant. He'd come down the mountain and the people were like, whoa, you're radiant. But that radiant was on the outside and, and, and it was fading away. But 2 Corinthians 3 says this, we're now filled with an inner radiance, which is not diminishing, but increasing, ever increasing, glory into glory. 
And so that's what the life of a spirit-filled believer is all about. Amen? So I would encourage parents, ask your kids about this area. Um, on the day of Pentecost, okay, that, that was a, that moment of salvation that they said, what should we do, brothers? What should we do? This is a, a problem. We've crucified Jesus. What do we do now? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized and you will receive the Spirit too. Okay, and so let's not just stop short, stop short of the baptism of the Spirit, but let's move into that area too. And let's encourage as a family, we want to pray tonight that God would fill us afresh with His Spirit, that He would lead us this week, Monday through to Sunday, by His Spirit. Amen? And that we would know, like the Israelites knew with the fire that was out there, we would know because the fire's in here. Each one of us would be guided in the decisions that we make. And what those decisions look like, and the way that we kind of work through life's decisions, will be now according to the law of God. It looks like the law of God because that's the only way the Holy Spirit can lead us. The Spirit can't lead you into sin. The Holy Spirit cannot lead you into conflict with other believers. It cannot lead you to refuse forgiveness or you know, withhold your love. He can only lead us into the ways and the wisdom of God. Otherwise, he would be violating his own nature. He can only be true to himself. And so um, that's where I'm up to with the law of God. Um, I'd like to just change tack a little bit. You know, Moses had Ten Commandments. He also had 613 do's, like you shall or you shall not. <laughs> we see that... Um, Jesus perhaps didn't talk about um, all those sorts of things. People might say, well, Jesus only had the, ro the royal law, you know, or the, the golden commandment, the golden law. And so a man came to Jesus and said, in Matthew 22 here, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So Jesus here has provided us a summary or almost a, a boiled down version of the law. He said you can summarize it by this. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. And, and if you look at the Ten Commandments, which I have right here in front of me, you could separate them into two parts. One is about loving God. The rest, from 5 through to 10, are about loving your neighbor. Do you see that? The first one, you shall have no other gods but me. You shall not have no idols. You should keep the Sabbath. Uh, sorry, um, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. That's all about loving God. The second half there is about loving everyone else. Obeying your parents. Don't murder. Uh, don't commit adultery. Protect marriage, in other words. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. 
And that, Jesus, in a sense, was summarizing and boiling that down. Now, uh, I was also listening to um, a Catholic guy this week, I'll get to that in a sec, who was talking a little bit about um, law and morality. And it was really helpful for me to hear, actually, because um, I've got, I had to jot a couple of notes down, which didn't print. But he talked about um, some irreducible values. See, in society today, we, we don't uh, have legislated Christianity. <laughs> and so uh, um, what do we as a secular society base our values on? Th some of those things we're talking about at the moment are things like religious freedoms in the light of Israel Folau. We're talking about um, euthanasia. We're talking about um, uh, abortion things like that. Now, how do we make decisions there which uh, are, are moral, are good? Well, there's a way of boiling them down to kind of understand how they, how they, uh, how they fit. Um, for example, if I, I'm here today sharing with you what I believe is, is truth from God's Word. Now, why am I preaching to you? Well, because it's my job to do that. Well, Yes, why, why do I do that job? Well, um, because I think that the things that are in God's Word are worth sharing to you. Well, why are they worth sharing? Because, well, they're, they're, tr they're truth, and truth is good. And in a sense, you can kind of boil down even simple things to an underlying essential value. Um, you might say, uh, why does uh, mum love dad? Well, because dad's a great guy. Yeah, but wh why? Why do you love him, though? There's lots of great guys. Well, I've made a commitment to him. Well, why'd you make a commitment to him? Well, because he's a great guy. So you put, no, no, because, because love is actually a, a valuable thing. What, what do you mean love's a valuable thing? And faithfulness is a, is a valuable thing. It's precious. It, it should, it's good in and of itself. Suppose there are these things where we can peel the layers back and get to a, an, un, you know, a, an irreducible value. Um, some of those things are called, when we boil things down to those irreducible values, St. Thomas Aquinas, and that's a Catholic guy, quoted by the Catholic guy I was listening to, called these foundations of moral life. They're things like truth. Like when you read the paper... And you realize I'm not reading the truth. Well, uh, life is an irreducible value. Things, uh, if you think about um, the, the issue of, um, I don't know, let's, let's say uh, the abortion issue, which is being debated about how, how late do we allow these abortions and things like that. Well, if you think about what that is, you could say, well, it's a woman's choice. You could say, and, and choice is valuable. Yes, but what else is involved here? Well, life is at stake. Well, life is valuable. Life actually trumps, in a sense, choice. And in the commandments, it talks about murder, and it talks about, therefore, the value of life. And so we're able to boil things down to fundamental issues, fundamental goodnesses and, and values. Things like life, beauty, Virginia spoke to us on beauty a few months ago, or, or order as opposed to chaos, goodness, family, integrity and honesty. These are things which are morally 
good and valuable things in and of themselves. Now, it's July, which means it's tax time for most of us. And who likes doing the, their tax? Not me. But who likes the outcome of a tax return? Usually me. Right? And, <laughs> and so uh, we are confronted with the choice to falsify your tax return in order to maximize it because we're all, interest, all interested in uh, increasing our deductions and minimizing our incomes so that we can maximize our tax return. We have a choice here as believers, as people who value morality, to be able to say, well, the law of God values true testimony, telling the truth. And, um, well, I'm not saying you should, um, you know, punish yourself. I'm, I'm saying you should say the truth. You should be able to uh, share your, you know, the information and be confident and comfortable that you are not lying. That is, a, that is mo morality. That is the decisions that we're faced with. And that's kind of where we live um, you know, from time to time. Uh, one of the people from the 20th century, uh, 19th century, um, Fyodor Dostoevsky, I've never read his, read his book, but he, he, he made this quote, that by denying the existence of God, anything becomes possible, or worse, permissible. Anything can become permissible when we take out the framework that holds this all together. And so uh, as Christians, we, we tend to uh, insist on objective moral values, which means they're bedrock. They're, they're good in and of themselves, and I'm not letting go. That's what I'm basing my life on. And, and so uh, that's, how we, that's how we go forward. The final thing here I'd like us to read, and Paul summarizes for us in Romans chapter 12. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Father, I thank you that uh, in your word we find these precious truths. We find these things that hold a framework for, our being, for us to be and exist and relate with one another and with you. We ask, Lord God, that you would equip us by your spirit to walk forward in the ways of God. Help us, Lord, when we're confronted this week by decision to sense the inner witness of the Spirit of God in, in us, to know the way that we should go, to know what would be wise, to know what would be honest, to know what would be um, faithful. God, I ask that uh, you, you challenge us this week in the area of love and how that outworks loving God. We cannot say that we love God and hate our brother. And we can't say that we 
really that we love our brother without loving God. It's a, they're linked inextricably. So equip us, Lord, to be followers of the way, followers of Christ, and that the mark of our life might be love, love for God and love for mankind. I ask your blessing upon each family here today for the rest of the holidays, uh, that you keep kids safe and, and mums and dads sane. Uh, I ask God that you would give us sweet times of fellowship this week as families. Father, that we, we continue to uh, uphold our friends in Congo, work out their situation, God, we pray. Father, we thank you for the, um, for the things ahead that we have to look forward to, and we ask for your grace to be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you.